So we are all gathered here on this beautiful day and we have shouted it out, Alleluia, Christ is risen. That's our greeting for today. It's our greeting for ourselves. And it's the greeting we shout out at Easter to remind ourselves why it is that we are gathered here today. Easter is the right day to be here at St. John's. This is the right place to be, and you and I have done the right thing to be here. I can only imagine where you would normally be on Sunday morning. Perhaps it's reading the New York Times and the Washington Post, having your second cup of latte, or perhaps you're one of those people who like to listen to the talking heads, the wise talking heads on TV going round and around and around. But today you have chosen to come to church and you have probably caused your neighbors and all your friends to wonder what got into you. <laughs> well, I can tell this to your neighbors. I know what got into you. It is because the Lord is risen today and we shout it out. Alleluia, Christ is risen. And that cry has roused you out of your lethargy and customary Sunday habits. Of all the days, this is the day to be in church. For after all, all of us are Easter Christians. Palm Sunday afternoon when I was playing tennis with a friend of mine, at the end of playing tennis, my friend very cynically said to me, well, I suppose St. John's will be filled with people on Easter Day. And I answered him, it most certainly will be filled on Easter Day, and it will be filled with very intelligent people who know that church is the place to be on Easter Day, for we are all Easter Christians. And I said to him, and it might do you some good to find a church with all those Easter Christians to proclaim that Christ is risen. In the reading from the, uh, the, reading from the book of Romans, from the epistle to the Romans, Paul reminds us, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So I welcome all of you here. I welcome you, all of you who are gathered here, because you've been invited to a meal immediately after the service. And that's you, Tyler, Andy, and Karen. <laughs> or perhaps your girlfriend made you come to church today. That's all right. You can build up some political capital. It always helps. Maybe your parents made you come today, especially your mother. She said, please come to church today. And you did. It's not a bad thing to make your parents happy. It is, as a matter of fact, good family politics to do that. It is a good thing to keep your parents happy. You will need them somewhere down the line. If it's not for college tuition, it's for the expenses of your wedding. <laughs> we are a very broad church on Easter Day. We welcome everyone. We welcome all of you. We even are glad to welcome our drummer today, our percussionist, Tom Malloy, who is a dyed-in-the-wool New York Yankees fan. <laughs> we are broad enough to include New York Yankees fans at St. John's Church today. <laughs> and as my southern friends like to say to Tom, well, bless your heart, Tom. <laughs> so Easter is available to everyone. It is available to people who are 100% believers. If you're gathered here, welcome. Easter is a welcome to doubters, provided that your doubts are not out of, are out of a need for truth. We are gathered here today to talk about a mystery. 
a mystery that the church calls the resurrection, and is one of those mysteries of the heart, like the B minor mass, like El Greco's paintings, like the love between two lovers, things that can never explain. Those truths which the mind plays an all-important legislative role, but not a creative role. At Easter Day, the resurrection can't be explained. If you're here hoping for a rational explanation of what happened Easter morning, you are in the wrong place today, because here at St. John's Church, we don't do explanations on Easter's. We don't know how it happened. It was between Jesus and God. Nobody else was there in that tomb. All we know is that the tomb was empty. What we do have today is a story. We have a story. And a story, as all of us know, isn't an argument or a, co or a collection of data. A story contains multiple meanings that can be discussed, questioned, and interpreted. That's our story today. It comes from the gospeler whose name is Mark. He's different from all the other ones, as you will find out in just a second, because he never gives you an appearance of the risen Christ. The people who gathered this morning are Mary, the mother of James, Mary Magdalene, another woman named Salome, who are the first to arrive on the tomb. They have seen it all. They saw Jesus get killed. They saw him being brought down from the cross. They saw him being laid in the tomb. They saw those soldiers roll that heavy stone in front of the tomb, and then they left. And then because the Sabbath, no one can work on the Sabbath, they waited till the day after the Sabbath to come back to anoint the body. And this is where Mark picks up. And Mark picks up by saying that the women get there, and they were thinking to themselves, well, how many men are we going to need to roll away that tomb so that we can put the spices on Jesus? How many men are we going to need to roll that big stone, to roll that big stone to see what we can do? And lo and behold, they get there. And what happens? Well, why? The stone has been rolled away. And as you know from the tombs in those days, you can walk into the tomb. And as you walk into the tomb, you can see that the tomb is empty. And there is a person in a white gown, an angel perhaps, a saint perhaps. Who knows? Mark doesn't give us any indication of who this person is. And then Mark says to the, uh, the angel, the man, says to all of them there, do not be alarmed. When I read that, I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> do not be alarmed? When I go to a cemetery, I expect everybody to be down there six feet underground. <laughs> I don't know about you. If I go somewhere and there's an empty tomb somewhere, I am scattering fast. Now, you know, we're all expecting, we know what to expect in life. We expect the world to turn on its axis counterclockwise. We expect things to be normal the day that we wake up. I had an alarming moment on Saturday morning. I don't know about you, but I woke up Saturday morning and I went to read the newspaper and the University of Connecticut women's basketball team had lost in the final four. Now, I don't know about you, but I expected them to win. I expected them, just like the earth turns on its axis, the University of, Con of Connecticut women, to win that basketball game. And I expected to go get my cup of coffee and to read the newspaper to find out by how many points they had beaten Notre Dame. And I was alarmed. I was alarmed that this has happened. I said, this is not the way the world goes. So if I'm alarmed over something as simple as a basketball game, can you imagine these women? 
And the angel says to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one who was crucified. And then he tells them, he has been raised. He is not here. Look, the place is empty. And then go and tell the disciples and go and tell Peter. And then he says to them, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you will see him. And then at the end of the Easter story, we find that these women who are afraid, dismayed, and dumbstruck, they are so dismayed and so afraid that they don't do anything about it. The way that the biblical, the Bible, the way that it's recorded in English, it says that they did nothing for they were afraid. The Greek version of it says they did nothing, they were afraid for. It ends with a preposition. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always wondered for myself, I was taught not to leave a sentence with a, not to end a sentence with a preposition. So you have to ask yourself the question is this, well, what was going on with Mark when this happened? Why end the gospel with a preposition? Do you think it's because uh, there's a whole new series of Da Vinci novels to be written about this? I don't know if you like detective novels, but I love Alan First. I love uh, the Brian Gunther novels, Bernie Gunther novels. I love all those novels. I like good mysteries. Is that what he's driving at? Somebody will write up some mysteries about this? Or maybe, maybe the Roman guard came in and while he's writing the last few words of the gospel, the guard taps him on the shoulder and says, the gig's up, buddy. You're going to jail. And he stops right there. Four. It ends right there. Or perhaps the followers of Mark read what he had written and didn't like it. And they tore it up. Tore it up right there with that preposition for. Maybe that's what happened. I want to suggest to you something else. I want to suggest to you that Mark is a fabulous storyteller. That's what he is. He is a fabulous storyteller. The same way that James Joyce is a fa fa fabulous storyteller, the same way that Tony Solomon is a fabulous storyteller, the same way that Gabriel Garcia Marquez is a, follower, a, a fabulous storyteller, they are the people, those novels that capture your heart, that grab your heart and make you think about it, and make you think it over and over and over. And you go back and you think, one day I'm coming back to read those novels again because they're such good storytellers. And I think Mark is in that category. And I think Mark is in that category because he doesn't tell you how it ends. He leaves it with a preposition, and he invites you, the reader, you, the listener, to pay attention to him and decide for yourself, how is this going to end? How is this whole thing going to end? I want to suggest to you a few things to consider this morning. The first one is this, that when Mark tells those afraid women, what to do, he tells them, you go to Galilee. There you will find the Christ. And I want to suggest to you that Mark may have been talking about Galilee, that part of northern, the northern part of Israel, but I don't think so. I think that Galilee is a metaphor. I think Galilee for us is a moment in time. I think that Galilee is anywhere and everywhere. I think that Galilee is uh, Bethesda, and I think that Galilee is Alexandria and Arlington, Prince George's County, Washington, D.C. This church is Galilee. All the churches are Galilee. 
And I think that's what Mark is suggesting for all of us. Open your imagination. It is part of a metaphor, and it is a metaphor inviting you to consider that Jesus is not to be found in heaven. Jesus is going to be found in Galilee. You have to go to Galilee to find Jesus. Mark never says, go to heaven, wait till you go to heaven to find Jesus. He says, go to Galilee, and you go and find Jesus. The second thing which I think that he's suggesting is this. Notice that the women don't do anything in our story. But you and I know they did something because you and I are here. It says that they didn't tell anything to anyone for they were afraid. Yeah, well, somewhere along the line they had to say something to somebody because all of us are gathered here. And I think that Mark is suggesting for us this, that faith is hard work, that faith is frustrating, that faith is forever inconclusive, that faith is always unfinished, which is always why it is called faith. You and I both know that faith is essentially trust, and trust, like love, takes time and it takes a great deal of work. And it takes them some time when they leave that tomb and they only follow the direction to go to Galilee to work on their faith the rest of their lives, and you know they did because you and I are gathered here. The third suggestion that I offer for your consideration from Mark's gospel from this particular story is this. Jesus is finished. Last Friday, we remembered that. His work on this earthly pilgrimage is done. There's nothing else for him to say or to do. Now, the duty of the redeeming work of God falls on us. We are the ones to carry into the world the redeeming work of God. We are the ones who are then entrusted to carry the powerful truth of the resurrection. The proof of the resurrection is in us. Peter Gomes, who was a good friend of our congregation, who's now only living in our memories, one time told me a story that as he finished the Easter Day service over at Harvard University, one of the smart crackers at Harvard University came out to him and said, I need some proof of the resurrection. Don't you have any proof of the resurrection? And Peter said that, yes, he has proof of the resurrection. And the young student said to him, well, where's the proof of the resurrection? And Peter said that he told that student, you are the proof of the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection because you are here. And the same thing goes for all of us. We are the proof of the resurrection. We are the ones who are now entrusted with the power of the resurrection. We are the ones who proclaim the resurrection. That's your task, and that is my task. When those women went out to Galilee, they remembered all the stored, and they remembered that there's more forgiveness in God than there is sin in us, that there's more love in God than there is hate in us, that there's more grace in God in anything than anything that you and I have ever done. And they go back to Galilee, and there they remember those words as you and I remember those words, and then they go to Galilee as you are invited to go to the Galilee of your lives to be able to proclaim to the world the truth of the resurrected Christ, that there's no pain so deep that there can be no relief, that there is no loneliness so absolute that there can be no friend, that there is no fear so great that there can be no calm in our lives, that there is no grief so deep that there can be no consolation, 
that there is no lie so insidious that there cannot be any truth. That is your task. That is my task. We are the proof of the resurrection. Well, it's only a story. God has done God's work. Powerful love has defeated loveless power. Resurrection has overcome crucifixion. Forgiveness has overcome sin. Our departed ones are at rest where we too one day shall be. Can you stand it? Do you want it? Are you ready? Why don't we all go? Let us all go to Galilee to find the resurrection, to trust the resurrection, to become the resurrection. Amen.